Thanks for joining us here at New Song Church, where we are helping people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you have any questions at all or just want to learn more about us as a church, you can check us out online at mynsc.org. It's the best way to stay connected with us throughout your week. And now, check out this week's sermon. Got our sermon notes back, so get those out. And uh, we're going to start uh, studying the Word of God from 2 Kings chapter 5 is where we're going to go. And it's, of course, the... uh, Uh, a story of Naaman. Now, before I get there, I just want to ask a a few questions and really kind of bring up sort of the obvious that a lot of you, if I were to say, how many of you deal with pride? You know, about half of you would say, well, okay, I kind of struggle with that a little. I'll admit it. But but to tell you the truth, all of us at some point, we all deal with pride. It really is 100% of us, I I would assume, at least very, very close to that. And I can prove that to you uh, how many? How many has ever, by 100% participation here by show of hands, how many of you have ever fallen down in public? You've taken a spill in public, and what is the first thing that you do? Prideful people, you take a spill, you hop back up, and you immediately look around to see who saw, right? Because we have a pride issue in our life, and I would suggest to you that. Throughout the course of our life, I think we struggle with pride. I, I think we will struggle with pride throughout the course of our life. It's something that just, it's reoccurring. Did you know that that was one of the issues? In fact, probably one of the biggest issues in Satan's life. Did you know that? When he re- rebelled against God, he was filled with pride. I, I was thinking about this the other day that, um, in fact, it, it came, reality hit. I hadn't done this, something like this in years and years and years, but I was, um, I was working, it was last week and actually about a week ago, I had my, my lawnmower out and I had my trailer, it was on my trailer and I was taking it somewhere and I have these loading ramps, um, you know, these aluminum loading ramps that I can drive my, my um, uh, lawn, lawnmower up on, up on the trailer. And so I was pulling out those loading ramps and they kind of stack on top of each other and, and I'm, I'm, I'm putting them in place, trying to, to unload the, the lawnmower. And they, they hit up against something, and they fall, and one of them just lands the exact wrong way. I, I should say the exact right way on, on my toe and just smacks my toe where I think automatically, I think, oh, no, I think I just broke my toe. And, and in the middle of that, once it hits, I then not only take the hit, but then I, I stumble because of it. And I fall down in the middle of a gravel parking lot. And I'm not talking the pea-sized gravel. I'm talking gravel, you know, with sharp stones. And you go to land and your knees hit and then your, your hands hit. And what did I do? Man, I just pop right back up and I look around like, who saw that? And apparently some, somebody did see that because about 10 or 15 seconds later, this employee comes out and he says, so how's your day going? I'm like, well, just took a fall, but I'm, but I'm okay. And and my, my toe is bleeding, you know, and, and uh, obviously I'm looking, at my, I'm looking at my hands, looking at my knees to see if I got cut, and it's just embarrassing. That wasn't, that, I've been far more embarrassed than that. How many, have, how many have been, like, super embarrassed? Like, you not just fell in front of one or two people, but you fell in front of a bunch. Have, has anybody done something like that? I have. It is awful. So one, one time... Uh, I was on staff at a church in Demont. I was the music minister there, and it was a Sunday night service. We had Master's Commission, about 25 people from Master's Commission there, and they were going to do a special service. And um, 
The service was just about to start. I'm, I'm walking up on the platform, and to get to the top step, the top sec- step was step number six. The, it, it, six steps. It's a tall platform. It, it's twice the height. This is only three steps to get up here, so a tall platform. And I get to step number five, and the director of master's commission, he calls out, hey, Pastor Justin. And, and of course, I look around, I, and I turn around, and I answer his question. And for some reason, I think that I'm already on the top of the platform, but I'm not there. I'm only on step number five. So I turn back around thinking that I'm at the top, and I just start walking. But my feet won't go anywhere because they're against the step. And I fall down, uh, you know, like, I mean, just flat on my hands and knees. I catch myself, and my big old rear end is facing the entire congregation. Like, everybody is staring at my, my derriere, everybody. That's embarrassing. You know, that's embarrassing. And then the, 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 the Master's Commission, all that whole group is, you know, 25 of them. And, and, and the guy, you know, they're asking their director who I just, they said, did he mean to do that? He's like, oh, yeah, he, he meant to do that. Well, he tried, he tried to save my dignity. But there's no dignity, everybody, when your rear end is in the air facing hundreds of people. You know that, right? You, you are not dignified at that, that, that moment. I mean, I've had lots of embarrassing uh, things happen in my life. And we find this person in Scripture that has been, he's just embarrassed by what's happening in his life. So something is happening that very few people know of, and he's just embarrassed about it. And his name is Naaman. And now, when I teach you the story of Naaman today, I'm also going to teach you, as we go through this, I'm also going to teach you, if you pay attention, how to study the Bible, okay? So, so there's a kind of a dual lesson here, because I'm going to stop every now and then, and I'm going, to, I'm going to share with you some tidbits, some just little nuggets of wisdom that hopefully will teach you as you read the Bible at home, and you should be reading the Bible, that as you read it, things should start coming alive if you just pay attention to the words. And I'm going to point that out to you today. I'm going to talk to you about a lot of things that a lot of people would just simply read over and never catch. So today, you're not only hearing the story of Naaman, but, but if you really pay attention, you're going to listen, you're going to learn how to actually study the Word of God and, and apply it to your life, because I'm going to pull out some truths that maybe you never thought, thought were there, maybe that you've never seen before if you've read this story of Naaman. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. So he was not an Israelite. He, he, in fact, was an enemy of Israel. He was a great man in the sight of his master, the king, and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. So let me point out something before we go any further, this little tidbit that maybe you, you would have read, read through and never caught, but here it is, and it, it, it might even be confusing to you. It says that he was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because, watch this, through him, through Naaman, this enemy of Israel, through Naaman, the Lord had given victory to Aram. That God used Naaman, that God worked through Naaman to give victory to Aram, who happened to be an enemy 
of Israel, an enemy of the very children of God. And you'd say, well, why is that? Well, why would God use him? He wasn't a believer. In fact, he was an enemy of the children of God. Why would God work through him? Here's the answer to that. I don't know. But but this one thing I do know, that there are a lot of things that God does that we don't understand. And it's okay not to understand all of the things of God. In fact, you won't understand all of the things of God until we are standing before God. And, 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 and at that point, all of the mysteries will be revealed to us. We'll know those things at some point. But right now, if things in this world doesn't make sense to you, I'm with you. There's some things happening in our government right now. I don't understand how many are confused right now. How many are a little angry right now with what we see in our nation, right? I mean, there's some things that I think, God, what are you doing? I, I don't get it. I don't understand. Why are you letting this happen? And, and I just want to tell you something, that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. They're far higher than ours. He's all-knowing. He's all-knowing. And there are going to be times in your life where God doesn't make sense, let, let, let me give you another portion of scripture. Just, this is just Pastor Justin's paraphrase. It says, there, there, the psalmist says, why do the wicked flourish? Like, like the, the people who, who are doing the things that they're not supposed to be doing, it looks like they're getting rewarded for it, but yet here am I trying to do the right thing, but yet they have the new house and they have the new car and they have the right job and they have the, the you know, those great kids, and you're like, well, look at my kids. How come their kids are better than my kids? And how come they make more money? And how come he got the promotion or she got the promotion? God, I don't understand. I, well, why is the wicked flourishing? And here I am struggling in this life. Pastor Justin, answer that for me. I don't have an answer. I, I, don't, I don't have an answer. There, there are just a few things that I know, that God is smarter than me that I'm called to trust him, and that on my worst day, it's always better with Jesus, right? And so so here we have something in the story of Naaman that we don't understand, but yet God worked through Naaman to give success to the enemy of Israel. Go figure. Now, did God have plans for Israel? Absolutely. Is God, was God always working things together for the good of the Israelites? Absolutely. Did God have to use Gentiles to do that? Did he have to use sometimes the Philistines or the, the, the um, Arameans or, or other, other people groups in order to get Israel's attention? Absolutely. Do I understand it all? No, definitely not. Definitely, I don't understand it all. But there we have it. So he was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Number one, write this down. I'm, I'm, just, I'm also teaching how to study the Bible. This is what it tells me. What, this is what this verse tells me, that after all of Naaman's success, life wasn't all he planned it to be. It wasn't all that he planned. That... that that let, let me say it like this, everybody. That if you were to see, if you were to see Naaman, he would have been surrounded by troops. He would have been surrounded by 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 um, 
no doubt many servants and many people that were just looking up to him because if he wasn't second in command of the country, he was at least third. He was the commander of the armies. He had a lot of strength. And when he walked into a room, everybody knew it because he didn't dress like everybody else. He didn't look like everybody else. Like when he, when he came into the room, you need to know that if he was a general, a commander of the armies, that there would be armor that he would have that would not look like anybody else's armor. It would be, it would be awe-inspiring. It would be striking. It would be impressive armor. You would look at him and say, wow, that man's a powerful man. Look at the way He's dressed. Has, has anybody ever captured your attention before? Like when you, you, you never knew them, but you walked into a room, you're like, oh, wow, look at that person. You know, I've told you stories about well, one time I was at a conference and this couple sat down next to me. I'm like, well, what is up with these people? They just look different. Like they're just on another level. They think different thoughts than most and they certainly were dressed differently. And then I found out, you know, in the middle of that conference that they were actually billionaires, and I thought, oh, well, that's why you look like that, you know? Like, I've never, never seen shoes that cost $1,000. I've never seen those before, but I did that day, you know? You know what I'm talking about? Like, you know, I, my wife and I, uh, we were in, I, I believe it was Kohl's. This is years ago now. And there was this, there, there was this African-American man that was just a giant of a man. I mean, I'm six foot three. And, and I'm, I'm looking up at him. He's got to be at least 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, I mean, he was way up there. Big 400-pound guy. And not a lot of fat. He was just big. And I, I, just because I'm me, I, I'm, I'm sort of near him anyway. And, and I just can't stop looking at the guy. You know, like, oh, you're huge. And, and uh, I'm like, I, and I, I just looked at him and said, dude, I don't look up to too many people, but I look up to you. He's like, yeah, you do. You know, like, Yeah. And, and had a conversation with him that day. And, and did, did you know something? This is a side note. If you're nice to people, they're nice to you. Did you know that? Like, I found out in life, people aren't intimidating to me. If you're just, if you're just nice to people, they'll, they'll be nice to you. He was a great guy. But when he walked into a room, no doubt people looked. The same thing happened with Naaman. When Naaman walked into a room, people looked. They took notice. But watch this, number two. His armor... His armor was impressive on the outside, but he was actually hiding something on the inside. He had a secret. He had a secret. And after all of his success, after all of the incredible exploits, the things that this man has done, life wasn't ending up how he had planned. He looked great on the outside, but when he took off the armor, when he took off the mask, he was hiding something. But Naaman had leprosy. Can I just stop right here? Because there are some people here in this room that I want to encourage today that for a long time you have planned and you have worked and you have put away and you've hit a season in your life where you thought everything was going to be a-okay and and maybe this is some, some people in this room that you've just geared up for retirement and you thought, boy, retirement is going to be great and I can't wait until we don't have to work and then we can travel and all of a sudden retirement hit and you're ready, but then something else hit too. Sickness hit. We, we've had multiple people here in the church lately that have 
lost loved ones. They've lost a spouse. And they thought retirement was going to look something like this. And it turns out retirement wasn't like they planned it to be. And they're hurting on the inside. And they're like, well, I didn't expect this. This is not what I planned. And can I, can I tell you something? I know. I feel for you. I hurt with you. And at the same point, there's something that I know about God. That he's good. And that he loves you. And he's there for you. And he's going to work this out for your good somehow. You say, but I don't know how. I don't know either. But I know he's good. And if you look back over the course of your life, you're going you're gonna to realize that you have seen the miraculous over and over and over again. You're going to see that God has been with you the entirety of the way, and he's not leaving you now, and he's not forsaking you now. He's with you right where you are. And if life doesn't look like you planned it, it doesn't mean that God's bad. It just means that the devil is. But God is greater than our enemy. And he still loves you and is caring for you and will provide for you. And you can trust him. You can trust him. Little word from God for some people here in this room. Number, I'm sorry, verse number two. Naaman's obviously hiding something. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken, a captive, had taken captive a young girl from Israelite. And she ser- served as Naaman's, she served Naaman's wife. So she was a servant of Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, the servant did, if only my master Naaman would see the prophet, see the prophet, take note of that, who is in Samaria, he would cure him. Of his leprosy. Now, here we have a couple more verses that teach us several things. First of all, that Aram, the, 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 um, this band of raiders not only went in there and this army not only conquered Israel, but a band of raiders went in and they captured slaves for themselves. Now, something that we know about history, especially um, um, uh, it, it, biblical history, is that. If this young lady was working for the wife of the commander of the army, no doubt she had to be a very special Israelite. She was a young woman, no, no doubt. She was very young, but she had, to be, she had to be what they would consider very beautiful, very, very um, attractive, not only, on the in, not only on the outside, but even with purity of heart, even with her servant's attitude, because only the best were given to the leaders. Everybody see what I'm saying? So no doubt she was a very attractive girl in more ways than one. She was very attractive, and she ended up being the servant of Naaman's wife. But remember this, she's a slave. She's not a daughter. She wasn't adopted into the family. She's not, she's not the child of, of a next-door neighbor. No, this young lady is a slave. She was taken out of her country. She was taken away from her family members, and she was put in the home of a, of a, of a general in the army and said, you're going to serve his wife. And yet, 
she talked to Naaman's wife and she said, if only my master would see the prophet, would see Elisha, he would be healed. Let, let, me, let me just throw this in here. Number three, write this down. That like the servant, like the servant, are you willing to help your enemy? It's just a side note that that's exactly what she did. She was willing to help her captor, the one who owned her. She was a slave to them, and yet she was willing to help them. And that just teaches you something about this young lady. And by the way, it teaches you and I something that every now and then we're going to be put in positions to serve, to help, to care for people that we clash with, people that we don't appreciate, people that we can't stand, people that we strongly dislike. And in those moments, the Lord is going to ask you, are you willing to help? Are you willing to serve? You know, one time I was put in a, a very awkward situation and this pastor uh, just did not care for me, just did not like me at all. And it was really, a, 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 he was threatened by me, threatened by my vision, threatened by, um, well, just threatened. And I determined in my heart that this man was not going to be my enemy. He was going to be my friend. And I just served and served and served, and I cared for, and I talked, and I prayed with. And can I tell you something? I won him over, for he loved me, and I loved him. And we didn't agree on lots of stuff, but he did not remain my enemy. I just chose in my heart, I was going to love this man. I was going to serve this man. I was going to honor this man. And when he was dishonorable, I was going to come back with honor. And when he was disrespectful, I was going to come back with respect. And when he was unfriendly, I was going to come back with friendship. And I tell you, I turned that relationship, what could have been a horrid relationship, it turned into something very beautiful, something very pure, because I was willing to help an enemy. And no doubt, you're going to have to face it at some point. And when you do, do what's right. We are called, how many know we're called to love the unlovely? We are called to love the unlovely, and so we do. So we serve those. Verse number four. Now Naaman went to his master and had told him what the girl from Israel had said. He said, by all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. Now why is he writing a letter to the king of Israel when he's supposed to be going to a prophet? But he writes a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing, the letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of leprosy. Now, we're starting to see the pride that is running through this kingdom. It's not only running through Naaman, but it's also running through the king. I'm not sending him to the prophet. I'm not sending him to Elisha. No, I'm sending him to the king, and the king is going to do what I want the king to do. Now, watch what happens next. Verse 7, as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and he said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life 
why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. So the king of Israel is saying, this guy is up to no good. He's trying to trick me. And when I can't heal his commander, then he's going to come in and that's going to give him another reason to come in and attack, another reason to come in and kill my kingdom, to kill my people, another reason to come in and raid us and take away all of our goods. And why is this man doing this to me? He's already conquered us and he tore his robes in this sign of I'm frustrated, I'm, I'm hurting, I'm angry, I'm in mourning, there's nothing I can do. And it was a sign of this, I'm at my wit's end, and he tears his robes. Verse 8, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message, why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman, what's this, so Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. And he wasn't, we find out later in the story, he wasn't just with horses and chariots and obviously many foot soldiers and uh, uh, you know cavalry is going to be there. He, he has this huge group around him, but he also has the silver and he has the gold and he has all the clothing. He's about to give this to Elisha as payment for a healing. So he is making this grand entrance and he comes into Elisha's neighborhood and he goes to the door. And it's a, an amazing story. Elisha, verse 10, he didn't answer the door. In fact, Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times. In the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. Because see, Elisha sees something this man doesn't see. Elisha says, hey, hey, I know something about Naaman, and I saw the grand entrance, and I saw the horses and the chariots and the gold and the silver and the clothing, and this man doesn't just need an outward healing in his body. He needs an inner healing of his heart. Because this man is prideful. So I'm not even going to answer the door. I'm going to send a messenger to answer him. And Naaman got mad because it revealed what was in his heart. He got mad because this prophet had the gall, had the audacity to send a servant out, a messenger out, instead of greeting him Face to face. In fact, Naaman would have expected that the prophet would come out and bow before him and say, what can I do to serve my master? But that is not what happened. Verse 11, but Naaman went away angry and he said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. So, so what was Naaman looking for in the moment? Naaman, Naaman was looking for a display. He was looking for grandeur. He was saying, if this guy knew who I was, if he respected me and honored me, he would have come out, he would have kneeled before me, he would have called me master, he would have asked that question, how can I serve you? And when I answered him, he would have stood up, 
Because remember, he said, he came out to me and stand and call. That means he must, Naaman must have, have expected Elisha to kneel because he would have stood and he would have called on the name of the Lord and he would have made this great display, waving his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. But that's not what happened. And then he goes on to, to question, Naaman does, verse 12, are not Abana and Farpar the rivers of Damascus, better than all of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and he went off in a rage. So he had a problem with the Jordan River. He had a problem with being washed in a, in a, in a river like this. And he's looking at it saying, that water's nasty. That water is dirty. Like, I've been there, everybody. It's, it's, not, it's not crystal clear. You know that, right? The, this river is not crystal clear. In fact, in fact, let me, let me explain to you. A, a, a lot of cities would be located on the river, and the river was like everybody went to the river at some point. They went there for water. They went there for, for, for uh, bathing. They went there uh, for their livestock. They went there. Can, can I just be honest with you? They didn't have indoor plumbing, right? Where do you think all that stuff went? Yeah, exactly. You know, in fact, if you've, if you've been on a mission trip with us, by the way, if you haven't been on a mission trip with us here at New Song, you need to go. Like, you need to go. If you're physically able to go, you need to go. We have one coming up in just a, a few months. We're taking a group to the Yucatan, to the jungles of the Yucatan. It's going to be awesome. But I'm, I'm thinking about Haiti that if we ministered up in this little school called Tewuj, and in order to get there, you had to go down this big slope, you had to cross a river, and then up a big slope, you had to hike a long way to get to the school, and we did a lot of work there, and it was tons of fun. The kids would show up, and we'd do ministry to kids, as well as just a lot of construction and, and painting and things of that nature. And You go down to this river. In fact, there were several rivers that we had to cross, and this river is like, you know, maybe 12 to 18 inches deep, maybe even two feet in some places, but really shallow, and it was on, on, on just rock beds, you know, like just beautiful. You'd look at it and say, oh, that's so pretty, but you would never want to wash in it. Because you know what's in that river? Nastiness. In fact, you see people walking their animals in it, and do you know what animals do? They do do. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, how many know animals make messes? They don't care. They'll, animals don't care where they're making a mess. They just make a mess. And then what's interesting is you see people doing their laundry in the river. In fact, we had to tell all the, especially all the young men that were on the trip, hey, you guys just turn away because they do a lot of bathing there in the river. And, and, and a lot of the ladies are just not dressed. It would be like what you would see in, in National Geographic magazine. You know how they show those communities in Africa and it's sort of like that. We're like, okay, everybody, look, you know, look that way. And, you know, as soon as we're clear, the ladies would say, okay, we're clear now. You can look ahead. And all the, I'm telling you, we have awesome teenagers in this church, by the way, everybody. Young men and women of integrity, and I just love them for it. How many of you love, you love teenagers? Anybody else like me, you love teenagers? We have some great ones right here at this church. I just want to brag on them. That when we said, turn your head, they turned their head. I'm so proud of them. You don't know what happens in that river. And if you, if you want to go swimming in that river, definitely keep your mouth closed. And when you get out of the river, you need to take a shower because that water is nasty. 
And he's looking at this river and he's saying, go there. I I know great rivers that I could go to, great rivers that are far more powerful, far more clean. Why don't I go to those rivers? And he's so angry. How dare you expect a man of my caliber to go and dip myself in that river? And he walks away in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you wash and be cleansed? Like it's just a simple thing. So he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. And I'm going to tell you something a little bit more in the story that he comes out. And not only has he been cleaned on the outside and his leprosy is gone, but he's been cleaned on the inside because he comes out and he says, I know something, that the God of Israel is the one true God, that Elisha, this God that you are serving, he is the one true God, and I'm going to bow to him and I'm going to worship him. In fact, every now and then he tells Elisha this, there's there's going to be times where, where the king will want to take me into a temple of a false god, and he's going to put his hand on my shoulder and expect me to worship. And what he's saying is he's going to put his hand on my shoulder, and he's going to push me down in an expectation that I'm going to kneel before this false god. And if that happens, you know I have to do it. I'm going to have to kneel, but in my heart, I'm going to be worshiping the one true God. In my heart, I refuse to bow to these false idols, these false gods, any more to that put an, a, a smile on Elisha's face and he in a paraphrase of mine it's go, it's okay it's okay I I know I know you're going to worship the one true God and Naaman's life was transformed it was absolutely transformed because of one thing that he did he decided to humble himself number four write this down let me ask you a question do you care more about your image than you do about your healing Do you care more about your image than you do your freedom? Do you care more about your image than you do worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth? Do you care more about what other people are going to think of you than carrying the gospel of Christ, than sharing your faith in Christ, than inviting people to come to church? Can I tell you something? This past week, I... I, um, uh, ran into somebody. I just felt like I, I needed to pay for their their lunch, and I gave them an invitation card to New Song, and and had a, you know just a very short but a wonderful conversation with this person. And can I can I tell you something? When when you in, when you invite people, it, it makes you excited for Sunday. If, if you're not excited for Sunday, let me tell you to do something. First of all, get your heart right with Jesus. All right, let's do that because we come together to worship God together. Right? It should be exciting thing that we look forward to. But here's another way to get excited about church. Just invite a bunch of people because on a Sunday morning, you're thinking to yourself, oh, I wonder if he's going to come. I wonder if she's going to come. I'm going to look for him when I get there. Well, pastor, what if they don't show up? What if they do? See, you're a pessimist. Stop that. What if they don't show up? Well, what if they do? Wouldn't that be incredible? And wouldn't you just invite more people? See, today I woke up like, oh, he might be here today. I'm going to look for him. I haven't seen him yet today. But I don't know what next week holds, and I'm going to look for him next week. You know what I'm saying? Like, come on, everybody. That's just a side note. Do you care more about your image than you do about sharing the Lord Jesus Christ with others? Are you worried about what people 
think of you? Number five, write this down. I'm going to teach you something. If you just remember one thing, remember this, that healing is often attached to humility. That victory is often attached to humility. Deliverance is often attached to humility. Restoration is often attached to humility. Let me me break this down to you because I see this over and over and over again in the Bible. In fact, I'm going to invite, if if the worship team is back there, you guys can come on out. I'm I'm going to... I'm going to teach this to you in in, in very unique stories in the Bible that we see that humility is attached to your healing, your deliverance, your freedom. Remember the blind man, he's sitting on the edge of the road and he hears this big crowd coming and he realizes that Jesus is in the crowd and he does something that everybody tells him not to do. He starts yelling out, King James Version, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. Hey, shh, shh, shh. Don't do that. No, no, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And what happened? Jesus went to him, healed him. Why? Because healing is often attached to humility. When you get to this point that you don't care what people are going to think, you don't care what people are going to think about you, you don't care about your image, you just don't care. That humility is often attached to healing. And we can see it over and over and over in the Bible when people just humbled themselves the lady with the issue of blood. Humility was attached to her healing. Think of the man at the gate. He was begging, begging. How humbling is that? How? Have you ever had to beg before? I, not like that, I haven't, but I would think that it would be humiliating. And he begs to a couple of disciples, and they say to him, silver and gold we don't have, but we do have the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, rise up and walk. Humility is often attached to healing. And I could give you story after story after story. When you get to a place where you say, I don't care who knows, I just need a miracle. I don't care who knows. I just need a miracle. See, lots of times in moments like this, the word of the Lord came out, and and as a pastor, you you, you see you see things that you invite people forward a lot of times. Say, hey, if this is you, just coming down, let me pray for you. And, and you you see people like. Like their, their head wants to go, their heart wants to go, but their feet aren't moving. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, but what, what are they going to think of me? And then everybody's going to be staring at me. Can I, can I tell you something? Can I ask you a question? Are you more concerned about your image than your healing? Are you more concerned about your image than your deliverance? Are you more concerned about your image 
then your freedom. You have to get to this point in your life where you say, I don't care who knows, I just need a miracle. I don't care who knows. And you humble yourself and you and you submit yourself to the Lord. You submit yourself in the presence of the Lord and the miraculous just happens. We, we oftentimes call that taking a step of faith. Taking a step of faith. Would you stand up with me this morning? Because now is going to be one of those moments. And what's going to happen is that in a few minutes, I'm just going to ask a question. Do you, do you need a miracle in your life? Let, let me ask you this. What are you hiding under your armor? What are you hiding under your armor? What are you hiding under the shell? What are you hiding behind the mask? If you took off your shell, what would people see? If you took off your mask, what would people see? But now listen to me, listen to me. Naaman had this incredible armor, no doubt, when he showed up at Elisha's house. He had all the horses, he had the chariots, he had all the gold, the silver, the sets of clothing. I guarantee you, he was a man dressed for the hour. He looked impressive. But a soldier would never go into the river with his armor on. Think about it. That armor would have sunk him. He wouldn't have done it. In order for him to go in the river, guess what Naaman had to do? He had to take off the armor. He had to take off the image. He had to get to the point to say, I don't, I don't care who knows. I'm just in the need, I'm just in need of a miracle. A new song, the Lord impressed me today that there are people in this room that are in need of a miracle. And I'm gonna ask you to do what Naaman did, just to step out and come to this altar and kneel at the altar, submit yourself, humble yourself, and pray. And, and because of, of circumstances being what they're being, I'm not gonna call a prayer team around you or anything like that. It's just gonna be a step of faith on your part, a step of humility. So with nobody looking around, and, and if this isn't you today, could you just pray for some other people that are in need of a touch of God right now? Just mature believers, could you pray? And if you just need the miraculous today, if you need God to do the miraculous today, don't care about your image. You need to come to your senses and say, I don't, I don't, I don't care who knows. I just need a miracle. In this first service, the altars were full, and I, I want you to make your way down here right now. I don't care who knows, I just need a miracle. I don't care who knows, I just need a miracle. Can all the prayer warriors just start praying? We bless you, Lord, we bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We praise you, God. We praise you, God. Come on, let's just seek the face of the Lord. Just call upon him. 
say, Lord, I just need a miracle. I need a miracle, God. I'm humbling myself before you because I need a miracle. We bless you, Lord. We bless you. We praise your name, oh God. We praise your name. Miracles come from you, oh God. Because you are great. You're powerful. And you love us. You love us. You love us. <laughs> so we call upon you, Lord. We cry out to you, oh God for deliverance, for healing, for freedom, for restoration, for the miraculous. God, we call out to you. And we call out, Lord. When we call out, we know you answer. Your word says that you hear our cries, that you hear from heaven and you answer us. So we cry out to you today, acknowledging you as the miracle worker as the problem solver, as the great and mighty God that you are. You work miracles in our lives. You do the miraculous for us, God, because you're gracious and merciful and loving and kind and all-powerful, God. That's who you are. And so now we worship you and we bless you for doing it, Lord, for helping us, Lord. We bless you, Lord because you are great and you're going to do great things for us as you've done in the past so you will do in the future father so we call out on the name of the lord oh lord show yourself to be powerful show yourself to be strong lord do the miraculous do the things that we cannot do god we're relying upon you we're trusting you our hope is in you father we don't have anybody else to run to god we run to you first we run to you because you can do it, because nothing is impossible with you. So we run to you, Lord. We run to you, God. Oh, we run to you. We run to you. We run to you. You're our strength. You're our help. You're our hope. You're our fortress, you're our healing, you're our provider, you're our deliverer, you're our way maker, you're everything to us, Lord, you're everything. You're all that we need, oh God. You're all that we need. You're all that we need. Give life, you are love. Come on, let's sing that out. To the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. Come on, sing it. Sing it out in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. It's your breath. 
Let's sing all the earth. All the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. It's our honor to play a small part in what God is doing through your life, and we would love to continue on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, all you have to do is go to mynsc.org connect. Thank you to all of you who consistently give, serve, and pray. You are the ones that God is using to truly make a difference in our community as we live out our mission of leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. We hope you tune in next week.